Lesson from the Letter of St. Paul the Apostle to the Romans Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Replay, repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Continuation of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time when Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to the people. As he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered him, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard him, he marveled, and said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west, and sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, be it done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The saving words of the Gospel. <clears throat> well, we've come to the third Sunday after Epiphany, we are in uh, green right now. In uh, a couple more weeks, we have a couple more of these Sundays after Epiphany. And then we go to pre-Lent and uh, Septuagesima Sunday. Um, we don't get as far as the sixth Sunday after Epiphany this year. The sixth is supplanted by Septuagesima. It all depends on when Easter falls. And that, of course, depends on the moon. But um, so a couple of liturgical notes here that I... Uh, that you might find interesting. Uh, for the uh, last Sundays, from the third, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth Sundays of Epiphany, uh, af Sundays after Epiphany, there's the same introit for all of those masses, exactly the same beginning, opening antiphon, and which suggests to me um, the obvious, of course, uh, that uh, there's a connection between the Sundays. And they direct back to Epiphany. And what we have is a series of accounts of miracles of the Lord on these different Sundays. 
And of course, a sun, one of these miracles are manifestations of the Lord's divinity. And what is epiphany? But the manifestation of the Lord's divinity. So I think all, thematically all these Sundays are tied together, still anchored in epiphany, even as we move forward um, into the year toward, toward pre-Lent. Um, another point in here for your, litur of your, lit for your liturgical interest. Well, let's take a look and see how this how the collect for today's Mass ties in with what we have heard in here. Um, and, of course, we hear the, the Latin, Omnipotens Sempiterne Deus, Almighty and Eternal God, Infirmitatem Nostrum Propitius Respice. Look attentively with favor on our infirmity, on our weakness. Atque and ad protegendum nos, in order to protect us, to cover us over with protectin, protection, dexteram tui maestatis extende, stretch out the right hand of your majesty. Of course, that tui maestatis Stretch out your majesty's right hand. The right hand of your majesty, your majesty's right hand. Maestatis tue, uh, when we address God as maestas, majesty, it's very much not just a description of that, of that over, uh, of the, of the overshadowing cloud, the glory cloud that would descend on the tabernacle and upon the ark. And in the temple, the Shekinah, uh, the cloud revealing the presence of God. It's that maestas in, in, in Greek. It can also it can it can also be Gloria. Uh, it can be Doxa in Greek or Kabod in, in in Hebrew. But here we have this 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 image of majesty, and so it becomes not just a description of who God is in His majesty, but it also is a title. Stretch forth your majesties right hand. So we pick that up from the, the Latin too. And also this, this word aque ad protegendum to protect us, to, to cover us over with protection. So we have the image of, of stretching out the hand to be over the person as, or over us as protection, which reminds me very much of how the centurion says the Lord, said to the Lord, I am not. I am not worthy to enter under your roof. And there's, a, I think, if, I, if I'm correct about this, the word for roof and the word for covering, pro tegendum, um, tectum, and and is roof in Latin. They're, the words are related. So, like, put put a sheltering roof, protective roof over us, Your Majesty. And this is what the centurion says, I am not worthy that I should enter under, that you should enter under my roof. And so the great humility of the centurion is, is revealed in this. And when, <clears throat> if a soldier, for example, in the legions were to commit some sort of fault or crime that would earn punishment, and the punishment of the legions was severe, um, if they were to be pardoned, the imperator, the one who wielded 
power from the uh, the Senate and the, Ro the Roman Senate and people, um, the Imperator would stretch his hand out over the person to signify their pardon. Um, and also in ancient Rome, when a slave was given his freedom, he was that that was called manumission, manumission, and that's where the person who owned the slave or had power over the slave would stretch his hand out over the slave to touch him on the head. And that was the symbol of him being freed. And that manumission had juridical effect. And so all of this is tied up. All of this imagery, I think, is tied up. But we have to, we have, to have a, a, a crowbar into the Latin and into the and into the imagery here and into the history in order to, to to pick up some of these things. And the other thing too is that you know the, the humility of the centurion is such that were the Lord to say, I'm sorry I can't go, the centurion would have humbly accepted it and wouldn't have pushed or fought or or, or complained or anything like that. He would have turned around and, and understood that as as well, the way it was just going to be, because he is a man under orders. And he has those under him, he has people under orders to him. So, he, being a well-ordered guy, uh, I think he, he just would have, would have accepted this. But, one of the things, as I was writing, I was writing a piece for 1 Peter 5 the other day, um, about this gospel passage, and something that occurred to me that hadn't occurred to me before, looking at it, and that, the eagerness of the Lord to go to heal the servant through the intercession of another. Um, because what did the Lord do? You know, the centurion, in a way, had to empty himself of his pride and even empty himself of his social status in order to come to the Lord to uh, ask for the healing for his servant. You imagine this. This guy is a centurion of the occupying force. And here he goes begging to a wandering rabbi. And he wouldn't have been wandering around alone. He would have had people with him. And they were probably thinking, you know, telling him, you know, whatever his name was, uh, um, let's just call him Duke because... Uh, Duke the centurion, because I like to think that this is the same centurion that then stood uh, under the cross uh, at Calvary and said, you know, truly this is the Son of God. I like to think that. There's no evidence for that whatsoever in Scripture. But and I also want I also want that that centurion to say that in exactly the same way that John Wayne said it in the in the famous movie, um, greatest story ever told, or something like that. Anyway, I digress. Uh, the centurion had to, to put it at his social status at risk to do this. Certainly in the eyes of his men, they must have been thinking, what on earth is he doing? And even the Jews would have been, you know, kind of like really surprised at this. What is this guy doing? And so everyone would have been buzzing, buzzing, buzzing about, you know, this thing. So he had to empty himself of his pride and go before the Lord uh, in his mission. And... In doing so, he became the servant of his servant. So why is the Lord so eager to go into his house 
go, you know, put himself under his protection in a way, put his, his covering over him who's putting his covering over him, is because the Lord himself emptied himself of his glory to take on the form of a what? Of a slave, of a servant, in order to save us, his servants, from our own malady of sin. So I think this is one of the reasons why the Lord is so so eager, it seems so eager to go to the centurion uh, at his house and to save his servant, because he himself emptied himself to take on the form of a servant to save his servants. So we have um, also this issue of, of the hand extending and touching in the first part of the gospel, just, just for a little context here. What's going on in Matthew 8? Well, in Matthew 5 through 7, the Lord in Matthew has been giving what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's when we have here all sorts of things like the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes and so forth. And there was a huge group of people following him. And we have the parallel passage in uh, Luke uh, 5 when we have what's called the Sermon on the Plain, um, picked up from the, K, the language of the KJV, it's uh, King James Version, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. And it, it wasn't until my trip, uh, uh, the pilgrimage that we made with the traditional Latin Mass pilgrimage to the Holy Land, when some of that began, the geography of this began to make sense, because it's really the same moment. I mean, one's a Sermon on the Mountain, one's a Sermon on the Plain, or what's with that? Well, the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of the Beatitudes, uh, where this the sermon would have been delivered uh, has on one side of it kind of a kind of a, a flat part on the side and it would have been if, if if he were standing on that flat part and the people were up on the slope above him it would have been almost like a like a natural amphitheater and it would have been uh, uh, easier to hear him rather than him being on top and everybody down below um, you know how how theaters are shaped and they're shaped, you know, with the people above, not below. So um, that's how we re reconcile that, that Sermon on the Plain and Sermon on the Mount issue. But there, he's coming with an enormous crowd is following him after this, after this great event. And he comes into Capernaum, and what does he find? Here's this, here comes this leper. And the parallel passage in Luke says that this leper is full of leprosy. And... One, I you've probably seen pictures of of people in whom Hansen's disease, leprosy, is is far progressed, and it's pretty horrible to behold. And I I haven't, and again I don't have any scriptural evidence for this, but that word full of leprosy, and then this event with all of these people around. Here comes this leper, and. Surely the people in the crowd must have been hissing at him, maybe even throwing things at him, hurling at least the word unclean, outcast, unclean, because according to the Levitical law, anyone with a skin disease, especially leprosy, was to take themselves apart and not be and not be around. They were just supposed to be gone because they didn't want to, you know, transmit this disease and they were seen as unreachably unclean. So 
here are the people. Imagine how they were reacting to this guy. It probably wasn't very pretty. And so he comes to the Lord to beg. And what does he do? He doesn't just stand there. He gets down in the posture of worshiping. He calls Christ Lord, recognizing in himself both the messianic role and probably also his divine role as well. And the Lord, what does he do? He reaches out. Now it says that he's kneeling. And so the Lord reaches out and touches him. What's the most natural gesture in that kind of thing? To place his hand on his head, which is, that again, that sign of manumitting, of freedom, of extending the pretending, the, the protecting hand of his majesty in order to what? In order to deal with the man's infirmity. Remember that prayer? Almighty everlasting God, look with favor upon our infirmity and stretch forth your majesty's right hand to help us, to, to, to protect us. So this is the leper who, like the centurion, is risking great social stigma to come out in front of all of these people. You know, the, being full of leprosy, I get the idea that maybe he was so bad that even the other lepers, in whom the disease hadn't progressed yet, had maybe also rejected him too, because he's come here, he's coming here alone. It's not like the other time when a whole bunch of lepers approached the Lord. And only one of them goes back to thank him. This guy is all alone. So these are these are two things. They're willing to risk, the centurion and the leper are willing to risk everything in human eyes, in the eyes of human respect, in order to obtain uh, for themselves something that only God can give. And this, I think, teaches us a great deal about our own attitude of prayer. Um, I wonder sometimes, would the centurion would the centurion have gone to Christ if his servant hadn't been ill? Well, in the parallel passage in, in Luke 5, uh, the centurion doesn't even himself come. He sends a, a collection of, of Jewish elders to the Lord to ask him to come. And, the, and those elders say that the centurion actually built their synagogue for him. So, you know, we don't know exactly you know, what would have happened there. Would the leper um, have gone to the Lord if he wasn't really, really bad off? Well, we don't know for sure, but we do kind of know something about human nature, don't we? Uh, even recognized in ourselves. Uh, when we are not afflicted with something, when we're not fearful, when we are not anxious or in pain, um, do we turn to God in prayer with the same intensity, uh, with the same longing, um, human, the human condition, uh, my own experience uh, with myself and with people, is it? Well, maybe no, we don't. It's really when we're when we're when we are in the jaws of the vice, the, in the grip of something, that uh, we we tend to turn to the Lord a little bit more anxiously, and. Our time of comfort, therefore, we have to examine ourselves very carefully and say, okay, what's going on right now? Right now, hey, things are going along pretty well. Now is not the time for me to take a vacation from intense prayer. Now is the time for me to double down um, and establish those habits of prayer 
Now, the other day uh, on the blog, I wrote something. Somebody sent me a question about uh, whether or not a person who is dying and at the point of death, um, and if the priest is there, the priest can give that person the apostolic pardon, which is a remission of all temporal punishment uh, due to sin. But what if the priest isn't there? What is that person? Is that person just out of luck? Well, Holy Mother Church is you know, very wise and is the greatest expert in humanity that there's ever been and understands that sometimes the priest isn't going to be there. Especially in these days. Now, think about COVID time when priests were forbidden to go into people who were dying. Well, are those people just out of luck? Um, no. Uh, the church says that a plenary indulgence is also available to those people at the point of death if they have the habit of prayer. Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, saying a prayer or two when you're in church on Sunday. I'm talking about, the, the church there is talking about a habit of prayer, something that is dwells in you like a habit. What are, what are habits? Habits are, are dispositions and tendencies in you that make it easy for you to do something. And there could be good habits and there could be bad habits. Bad habits are vices. Good habits are virtues. Habit comes from the, like the word habitat. It's something that dwells in you. So we have the, we have the, theological, we have the theological virtues that are in us by the, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They dwell in us, like we in the temple of our of our soul. They they dwell in us. So uh, it becomes easy to do certain good things, good works, and have good attitudes and good practices and habits of the mind and so forth. When it's easy for you to do that, well, then you have the habit of doing it, and then you have the virtue of doing that. But that takes repetition. <clears throat> it takes time to develop. Uh, with the grace of God, that could go a little faster. But we also have to put in our own elbow grease because grace perfects nature. It doesn't overcome it or change it or 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 make it an irrelevant. Grace perfects nature, and so we have to do our own work in this process. Um, it's both by grace and elbow grease that we develop these things. And so Holy Church says that even if the priest isn't there to give you the apostolic pardon. At the time of death, and you think about it, the time of death, too, of the poor person who's, who's dying might not be able to say anything, might not be able to talk at all, might be unconscious and incapable. So it's the habit, then it's the habit of prayer, which is in the person, which the church says makes them disposed to receive the plenary indulgence at the time of death. How marvelous. Yeah, we have to prepare for things, don't we? You know, the Lord um, provides through Holy Church for these things like indulgences. The Lord provides for us sacraments. The Lord provides for us actual graces. And we have to make sure that we are well disposed to, to receive them. And this is one of the reasons why, for example, before Holy Communion, we beat our breasts three times 
saying the very words of the centurion. This knocking upon us, sometimes you know, the repetitions, the first one might not penetrate through the fog of our distraction. And the second one might start to get our attention. But the, by the third time, it may be that we are now more focused and better disposed to receive that which we long to receive. And we find these repetitions all through our lives as Catholics. So repetition is very important. The very essence of our rites and rituals of our liturgy is repetition, which is one of the reasons why I constantly say we are our rites. So consider uh, your life of prayer. What are your habits of prayer? And, and consider um, the direction that we're going. God wants to place his protecting hand upon you. But we have to come to him in order for him to do that. And be willing to accept what it is that he gives uh, for the sake of, our, of him, him dealing with our infirmity. Credo in unum Deum, Pater Omnipotente, Pactorum Cerni, Cleric, Visibilium Omnium et Invisibilium, et unum Dominum Jesum Christum, Filium Deum Unigenitum, et Expatrinatum Antium Insegula, Deum de Deo, Lumine Lumine, Deum Vero de Deo Vero, Genitum non Pactorum, Consubstantialem Patri, Pequem Omnia Pactorum, Mi Proprio Nos Omnis, et Proprio Nostrum Salutem de Gendi de Cerlis, et Incarnatus Est, et Spiritus Sancto, Ex Maria Virgine, et Homo Pactus Est, Crucifixus Est, et Antronovis Pontio Pilato, Passus et sepultus est, et resurrexit tertia dies secundum scripturas, et ascendit in cedum, sedet ad exit in patris, et iterum intudus est cum gloria, judicare vivos et mortuos, cuius reini non erit finis, et in spiritum sanctum, dominum et vivificantem, qui ex patri filioque procedit, qui cum patre et filio simul adoratur e cum glorificatur, qui locutus est per profetas, et unam sanctam catholicam et apostolicam ecclesiam, Confiteor unum baptisma in remissione peccatorum, et expecto resurrectionum mortuorum, et vitam in turi seculi. Amen. Dominus obiiscum. Corremus. Dexter Domini, fece victudum. Dexter Domini, exaltavit me. Non morias et vivam, et naravo opera Domini.
Ļoti pratriec. Prundia sekula sekulorum, non iusugisum, sursum corda, grazie a gabus, domino leonoso. Veridinium iusumest, 